Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Already we feel your presence, God. Already, God, you're moving amongst us, Lord. And even the words to these songs and the melodies have been moving our soul and bringing us right to your very throne room, Lord, right to your feet. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you would clear away our minds as we focus on you. Let us be Mary's today, not Martha's, Lord. Let us hear your voice, God, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us those ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. So anoint your word, God. Anoint this time. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Hey, I read about this elderly lady who was determined to keep driving despite her age. Uh, her concerned family thought the only way to keep her from going out, getting in the car, was to discourage her and tell her with different stories and news reports of recent car jackings, trying to get her a little scared. But it didn't work. For instead of giving up the keys, she went out and bought a gun. <laughs> she loaded it as she was shown in the store and put it into her purse. Now, she was one of those women who takes no nonsense from anyone all her life. So when she walked out of the mall and saw two guys getting into the car, she decided to make a stand right then and there against the thieves. She reaches into her purse, pulls out the gun, walks right up to the window and yells, Get out of the car! Get away from the steering wheel! I mean it! Get out now! Well, the two men in the car were just in shock to see this 80-year-old grandma confronting them with this gun, like, shaking in her hand. She yelled again, I said, get out, move it now. And so both men jumped out of the car and ran away in different directions. Well, the elderly woman slipped into the driver's seat and was feeling pretty good about herself, being so daring, yeah, to stand up to these guys. And she put her gun back in her purse and grabbed her car key and pushed it into the slot. And it didn't go in. Yes, right then she realized that wasn't her car. <laughs> Whoops. Well, at least she was brave enough to make the stand. Funny, funny as it is, but don't we got to make sure that when we make a stand, it's for the right reasons? Abraham Lincoln once said, Be sure you put your feet in the right place, then stand firm and that's so true well as we come into our study here this morning as we continue through the book of daniel we come to one of the most famous passages in the bible we all know to know about it. if you grew up in the church you read the stories you learned about it well today we're going to see three hebrew men who stand for the lord after the king orders all the people to bow to this statue so these three dare to make the stand. And that's the title of our message this morning. Dare to make the stand. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 3. The whole chapter this morning. There's 30 verses. Verses 1 through 30. But we're going to get through it together. And we're, we're going to see. And we're going to hear from the Lord today. So dare to make the stand. We're going to see three things here. And this is our outline. Number one. The required worship. Number two. The refusal to bend. And number three. The rescue by God. All right, so let's begin. Let's dive into our chapter here, Dare to Make the Stand. We begin with number one in our outline, the required worship. And we're going to cover Daniel 3, verses 1 through 7, for those of you taking notes here. Take a look with me here now. Verse 1. 
It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth uh, uh, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So we're going to stop right there. Here's the setting. Here's what's going on. We begin with how King Nebuchadnezzar, remember he's the king of Babylon, Right now, he's ruling. He had this huge image of gold made and constructed. Some say now this image of gold was, was this tall monument, like, like maybe the Washington Monument, like a needle. Some say it was just this tall thing. Others say the statue was in human form. And perhaps uh, maybe uh, at the top of the monument was him, his head, or, or, or maybe this, this body of, of him, the king. Now, it doesn't say when this was built, but some say it was, it was made when Jerusalem fell around 586 B.C., which was about 20 years after what we saw in the last chapter in chapter 2. So for me, I think it was a statue of the king himself. As being this time, Nebuchadnezzar was, was sitting on top of the world. He was king of Babylon, king of the Babylonian Empire, which was king of the world they took over the whole world at that time so i feel like king nebuchadnezzar was basking in all his victories he was ruling he was the king of the world empire at that time babylon i think this image actually represents him because remember last week we saw in the king's dream this huge statue where the head of gold had represented him well i think that all went to his head and his body, and he made this huge statue, right? If you missed that message, you can listen online. By the way, we're on Apple Podcasts now. You can catch it on our site, uh, Spotify, all of that. But if you missed it, try, try listen and what happened. So this statue now that he had made, notice what it says. It stood 60 cubits high by 6 cubits wide. Now, in the Old Testament, one cubit is actually about 18 inches. It, it was from the tip of your, your middle finger all the way to the elbow. And so that's how they would measure. And basically, uh, it came to be known about 18 inches. So if you calculate all this out, this statue was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now, think about that for a moment. I think that's why some believe maybe it was just this needle kind of monument. But I was thinking... Now, I bet you this is the king. And the proportions seem way off because it's like really tall, really skinny, right? But maybe that's the way the king saw himself, right? A really skinny, hipster kind of king. In reality, he had this big belly from eating all the rich Babylonian food. So, I don't know. But either way, there's this tall statue, kind of skinny. And this statue was set, in verse 1 it says, in the plain of Dura. Dura actually is more like a description like a label. It means walled in place. So I believe this certain place in Babylon, in the province of Babylon, maybe right outside the capital city, was Dura, which was this big plain where everyone could gather. And all around it maybe was mountains as a backdrop to this statue. And all this was in the province of Babylon. So I believe the king sets up this huge statue of himself there in this plain. 
You know, in 1863, archaeologists actually discovered a huge pedestal about six miles southeast of Iraq, which is actually ancient Babylon. The pedestal is, was about, is about 45 feet square, 20 feet high, and you know what? Many really feel that this was the actual site of the statue. So, with all that set up, look at verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 3. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we stop there and we see the king calls, right, all the leaders, all the heads of, of his empire to gather together there in the plain of Dura and stand before the statue. Now, when it mentions here twice in these two verses, satraps, basically they're like super high officials, you know, the, the highest officials there. They came. The prefix, if you remember last time, uh, Daniel and his friends were made prefix or administrators of different provinces in the empire. Governors were under the prefix. Counselors were probably the royal advisors, like the Chaldean guys and the wise men astrologers who advise him. Justices, they were the supreme judges. Magistrates, well, they were the police chiefs of, you know, all the other, all the areas in the empire. And then you name it, all the other officials as mentioned here, all the other authorities and all of Babylon's provinces. Again, keep in mind, this, this is a world empire. There are many countries he took over. So everyone is traveling. Everyone is coming here. So here's the officials of the empire gathered together in one place, ready to hear this official announcement. They come in, they see this big statue. They don't know what's going on. Never, the king just called this all together. So can you imagine? I was, I was picturing today, like, like say, you know, they made a movie or say, you know, maybe God made a movie. <laughs> and there was this, I could see this drone shot, you know, flying into this huge plane of Dura. The officials of the empire dressed in their official attire with their assistants and security team and toll. And then the screen shows, the, you know, zooming in on faces. This is the who's who in Babylon. The head guys, this, this is the red carpet event, you know. Everyone's there. And as the camera pans out, the rumble of the voices fade into the shot of this giant gold idol shining in the sun. So just picture that all going on. So once they, were, they had all come at the appointed time, once they have all assembled, assembled, look at verse 4. And the herald, the announcer, pro proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Now, again, remember, this is a world empire, and the king is trained, raised, and gained the loyalty of many officials from the different countries that he had conquered. So they're all gathered. So that's why he says many pe you know, people's nations, languages. Verse 5, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trogon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold image that the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So what is announced is what the king commanded now understand that on hearing the music 
The, and this is the king's orchestra. And what's listed here is the horn, a horn, a pipe, probably a flute, the lyre, like a small harp. Trigon is another type of uh, string instrument. The harp, the bagpipe. When I read that, I thought, oh, bagpipe, isn't that like an uh, Irish thing, you know? But I was reading that the, the Greeks, uh, from the Greeks, they had some sort of bagpipe sort of instrument. And then, and every kind of music, all, all kinds of instruments, everything, this big orchestra came. And the announcement was when they hear the music play, they were required now required to fall down and worship at the feet of this golden image. Now, this is required. This is a serious command because look what the announcer says next in verse 6. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Some say that in this area, uh, they found some ancient kilns, basically. They, they look like these cylinders with a, a big, big cylinder with a dome on top. There's a hole on top, a big hole on top, and a door on the side to stoke the fires and all. Well, they believe that was used to make bricks and form metals there. You know, they would heat it up and all that. But here, what was said here, here was to be for those who refused to bow. Perhaps King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, imperial guards were there standing on the side, you know, looking, you know, intimidating as this announcement goes out. And there, you can kind of see them on the sides ready to grab anybody who does not bow and worship the image. So you can imagine what happened when the music started. Look at verse 7. Therefore, because of what was said, because it was required in this command and the consequences, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, some put a note in here. They speculate that, well, maybe this was the king's move for unifying the empire uh he had conquered different nations you know different cultures different and he just wants to unify them but i believe in what we see here is this was more than making some political allegiance to the king it was a religious move it was for all to literally bow down to this image of the king and worship him so when the music played, everyone was to bow to this image. And this is our heading, the required worship. This is, he was serious about this, the required worship. You know, I was thinking about this. We're told later in the book of Daniel, we're going to see this, also in the book of Revelation, that in the future there will come a leader, a ruler of a one-world government who will require all who live on this earth to worship him. And you know who that is, the Antichrist. It is spoken and, and prophesied that the Antichrist will stand in the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem, declare himself God, and require the whole world to worship him. The Antichrist will also set up an image in that temple where it will, the Bible says it will come to life. And everyone's speculating, what is that? Some hologram or maybe it's robotics, AI maybe, you know, coming to pass. But either way, if you don't receive his mark, right, and worship the Antichrist and the image, you suffer his wrath. Basically, you will be killed. 
interesting. That's coming in the future. But what we see here, that's like what King Nebuchadnezzar requires. And this is our point. When the music is heard, it is mandatory you bow or you burn. When the music is heard, it is mandatory you bow or you burn. You know, it has been said that when <clears throat> Queen Elizabeth was crowned in Westminster Abbey in England, royal invitations went out to the lords, the nobles of aristocracy, to the leaders of science, art, industry, to government officials, and to selected commoners. To receive an invitation was a high honor to, to go to this coronation. But actually, I was reading, it was much more than that because it, on the fancy invitations that were sent out, there were these words, all excuses easy, easy. In other words, no excuses are allowed. You got to come, basically. This royal invitation was really a royal command. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is putting out here. It, it was mandatory, right? When the music is heard, it is mandatory. You bow or you burn. Crazy, isn't it? But you know what? I was thinking about our world we live in today. There are some things that we begin to feel it's mandatory. Yeah? Uh, people around us like, will look at us funny if we don't live the same way they do. Or we feel that pressure like, oh, everyone's doing this. And if you go against that, oh, and you feel like it's mandatory. Sometimes we see those things. Sometimes we feel those things. I mean, imagine here, you know, all the guys, you know, they're wondering, what? Worship this? And some commentators said, hey, they're used to worshiping idols and things like that. But this is the king. This is, this is not just political allegiance, but it's a religious move, like really recognizing. But hey, the consequences are bad. And what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going down. And maybe that was the pressure that they felt. Can you imagine that? How about you today? Do you feel some of that, you know, that, whoa, society says this, culture says this, yeah? Maybe it's not a ruler or king saying this, one day things might happen, but there's this, this mandatory kind of sense in you, and, and, and maybe you, you, you're feeling that from society or, or at work. They do everything like this. You're like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to partake. Yeah. Or, or maybe you, you're feeling that kind of mandatoriness like in, in your family. Maybe your family's not saved or, or your spouse. What are you feeling? You know what's interesting too? Just another note. The king used music here. Isn't that interesting? The king used music. And music, we know, it's a powerful force. It, it, moves, my, it moves our soul, right? I mean, right before I, I started, there was a song on the, uh, up here, you know, coming out. They were playing, and, oh, it had that beat. It had that Michael Jackson kind of beat, and it kind of makes you move your feet, you know. Hey, that rhymes. But anyway, isn't it interesting? Yeah, King Nebuchadnezzar uses music. You know what John Philip said? Music can be used to worship God, but music can also drag people down toward hell. Watch out, you guys. Watch out. Because some of these things will make you think it's mandatory. Music can draw you into bowing down to something other than the Lord. Well, let's move on here to number two now, the refusal to bend. We saw the re we've seen the required worship here. Now, number two, the refusal to bend. Verse 8, 
Daniel chapter 3, it says, Therefore, at the same time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, the word maliciously means to tear in pieces. It means to devour. Um, Think about this now. Here are these guys. They come in with accusations to destroy. They want to destroy these Hebrew men. Remember these Chaldeans? They were the royal advisors who have been studying this since the first chapter. And, and they were, you can tell, they maliciously mean they were full of bitterness and jealousy. You remember how in chapter 1, these Hebrews were favorites of the king? You know, they shined, the king noticed them. Or how about in chapter 2, just last week, right? We saw how along with Daniel, they were put into this high position, right? Right? The prefect, the the administrators of provinces in the kingdom because they interpreted, right? God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream and so uh, Daniel got his guys and they were promoted. So you know what? The Chaldeans, the royal advisors, they hated them. They were on the lookout to bring them down and then here's their opportunity. So they come into the king and look at verse 9. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And I can imagine them going, Well, king, let me tell you. Yeah? Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, these are Daniel's three friends, and this is their Hebrew name that were given to them to make them more uh, Babylonians back in chapter 1. They say in verse 12, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. Oh, look at that. They don't want to listen to you. He's already putting out this poison in their mind already they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up so the chaldeans point out the three hebrews and we don't know if this was after this event or maybe right at this event but either way they point out that when the music played the three hebrews are still standing can you imagine that Remember that scene in the plain of Dura? Remember all the officials dressed in their official garb and a big shiny image and a, and a bright shining sun and the orchestra around and the orchestra plays. And as the music plays, you see this sea of people suddenly just bow down. I almost, I almost see them just fall on their faces and on their knees. But when all the dust settles, your eye can easily see three men still standing like I don't know, I was thinking like, you know how blades of grass are still standing after you mow the lawn? It's like, oh man, I missed that, you know. And it's still standing. They're still standing. Well, at this point, you might be thinking, wait, 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 Pastor Rick. What about Daniel? What about the writer of this book, the hero of our stories in the last two chapters? Where's Daniel? Was, Was he bowing? No. Most commentators say, we don't know, but most commentators maybe speculate that perhaps Daniel was way far away, maybe too far even to get back. And, and, but he wasn't there because we know, we know that if Daniel had been there, there would have been four Hebrew men still standing, right? So we don't know exactly, but we know these three stood. Well, look at verse 13. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I may, well and good. In other words, hey, you guys, if I hear what's right, is that what you really said? But I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the music this time, if you bow, it's all good. I'll let you go. It'll be all right. But, he goes on and says here in verse 15, If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So you can get an idea of where, where Nebuchadnezzar stay, right? I mean, he's like, I'm the guy. I created this empire. I'm in control. I have power. I have the power to, to, to throw someone in a furnace or not. Your life. Is in my hands. That, that's what he's saying, basically. Nobody can come against me. Can you imagine what it was like for those three Hebrew men, the guards, yeah, the, his acu- their accusers, the Chaldeans in this throne room? Here is the king of the Babylonian Empire, right? You have a choice live or die, bow or burn, right? Can you imagine that pressure as they're standing before the ruler of the world. I wonder if they're like, just a minute, King. Can can uh, wait, we we need to talk? You know, what if what if like Shadrach's like, hey guys, what's an idol anyway? We know it's nothing. Yeah, no biggie, right? We're not really worshiping. Maybe Abednego's like, you know what? How can we dis- disrespect the king? He pays our salary. He put us in this, this position. We don't want to lose that, right? I mean, we're, we're witnesses, you know, Meshach's probably, Yeah, if we die, how can we continue to be a light and witness for God? It's easy, yeah, to start, oh, yeah, well, well maybe it's not so bad. Or, or maybe it could be this. And start to make these little excuses and things that you can do. But we know they didn't say that because it's not in our Bible. I just put that in there. So don't say they said it. <laughs> they didn't compromise look at verse 16 Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter now that's huge you know what they're saying they're saying king we're not going to defend ourselves we're not going to make any excuses here we don't need to answer you and then they say this verse 17 if this be so that is if not to bow means that we're going to be thrown into the furnace, that we got to burn. They're saying in verse 17, Our God, whom we serve, is able, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Isn't that awesome? They're like, hey, king I, I know you're talking like you, you the man, yeah, you the one, yeah. You get all the power, you, you know, our life is in your hands. No, it's not. Our God, yeah, can deliver us out of your hand. Our God can work this miracle. Our God can save us from the fiery furnace. But then he adds this, verse 18. 
But if not, you know what he's saying? If God's will and plan is for us to die, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. What a heart. I'm so inspired by these guys. I hope you guys are too. Notice three things here. Notice what they hold to here. First of all, they are totally confident that God is able to do a miracle and deliver them. They are totally confident, standing before this king, the most powerful person in the world at that time. They are confident. You know what? God can do a miracle. He could deliver us, you know, out of your hand. And I think, you know, I was thinking back in the last two chapters how they already experienced God worked miracles, right? They, they, they were fast-tracked into being advisors in the kingdom. They, they, uh, God gave Daniel, you know, the interpretation of the dream. God already did plenty of miracles and saved them and kept them healthy. You know, they didn't eat the king's food in chapter 1. All of that, right? I'm sure they experienced and they're like, hey, with the Lord, this is nothing. Nothing, yeah? So not only they are totally confident that God's able to deliver them, but secondly, they will be obedient to God even in facing death. I'm sure they're they're standing on the word. I'm sure they're standing in their commitment to God. I'm sure they know Exodus 23, right? right? The commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And then verse 5 of Exodus 20 says, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Yeah. I'm sure they're, they're, no, this is the word of God. I am not going to go against what the word of God says. I will not compromise here. We will not compromise. And thirdly, I, to me, this is one of the amazing things here is that they accepted and trusted in God's will. Even if this means that taking their stand means they're, they're going to burn, they're going to die here, die a horrible death. King, we're not going to bow. We're going to trust God in all of this. So you see how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they dared to make the stand against the king's decree, our title here. Dare to make the stand. Holding to their conviction, these three refused to bend our heading here. They refused standing on their convictions and their principles and what they believed in and what they held to and and their commitment to God. Someone said, better to die with conviction than to live with compromise. What What we see here is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were committed to live by internal principle and not by external pressures that's our point these were committed to live by internal principles and not by external pressures that's what they went by though the world around them though the culture around them though the king was saying they lived by those biblical principles and their commitment to the lord you know the other night um we came home from something and uh christian was a little hungry and so she went to toast an English muffin. <laughs> and uh, she asked me, hey, I'm going to toast this English muffin. And, you know, do you want one? And when she asked me that question, suddenly there's this war going on <laughs> inside of me. Um, I wasn't hungry. 
But it sounded so good, you know, in toasted English muffin, butter, you know, I said, and honey and all that. And, you know, this war is going inside of me, right? You know, if she was having one, well, I might as well have one too, right? But then I think, well, you know what? I've been eating so much lately in different events and really trying to cut back and not eat any snacks after dinner, right? Don't eat after eight or whatever, after dinner kind of thing. And so this war is going on inside me. And, and I, I know it was only maybe a second when I answered her, but to me it was like eternity. What should I do? Oh, I like to eat. No, I better not eat. No, no, you know, you got to stick to this diet. No, you got to get back on that diet. You know, all this stuff, we're going back and forth, back and forth. A battle was happening inside of me, and well, I lost. <laughs> yes, I love English muffin, right? And, and not to say that was, um, please don't get it wrong. It wasn't bad. Kristen said that. <laughs> no, no, no. But the external won over the internal commitment. But look at Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They face even greater pressure. They face, they face that choice. Live or die, right? That, I mean, if anything, that's, that's probably the... the the most pressure you'd ever feel if your life is on the line, right? We panic or we're like, oh, what? No, I don't want, you know, fear, all that sets in. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they faced this great pressure, more than food, and they did not give in because these were committed to live by internal principles and not by external pressures. Where are you today? Maybe you come in here and there's the external pressures. They're pulling at you even right now. There's a battle going inside of you because of what you know inside and what is going on outside. The world, its distractions can really pull on you, put pressure on you to compromise, to live like that, them to be like that. The world can put pressure on you to, 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 to do things you know you shouldn't do. The peer group around you, right? The peer pressure can have on, on, upon you. Things of the world, oh yeah, I like that. Or suddenly you start thinking, well, I got to have that. Or I got to be like that. Or I got to live up to this or that. But will you live by those eternal principles of the word of God? Will your life be about Jesus not about that thing that is pulling you away. Not about that person or that group or that ideal. Are you willing to live by the internal principles of the Word of God? You know, I, I, I was thinking this week, I was kind of meditating on this passage, and I was thinking, you know, this was like a test to these three guys. Yeah? I mean, Daniel's away, but these three, they're, they're Daniel, their they're buddy, their leader's gone. Yeah. And, it, and it's just them three. And it was like a test, like, oh, you know, put in the fire. Would we really compromise? Would we give in? Would we bow so we don't burn? It was like a test for these three. And you know what? We all are faced with a fire now and then. And we all go through a fire sometime or another. Individually, we go through trials, we go through things and, and, and that are testing you. What, what are you going to do? What kind of choice are you going to make? 
Are you going to give in to the external pressures or hold to the internal pressures, no matter what the consequences? We go through fires. Our family, your family can go through the fire sometime or another. Your marriage may even go through some hard times. What are you going to do? Are you going to give in, give up? Or are you going to hold to the biblical principles? You know, I was thinking even this church has and will go through the fire. But what are we going to do in the end? Will we still hold to God's word? Will we, and, and, and I'm talking about like when I talk about relationships or family or church or, you know, our marriage, I'm talking about not so much like, like oh, we're doing the wrong things, but the attitudes in our heart. I mean, I mean, will we still hold to God's word that calls us to love with agape, to forgive, to give grace, yeah? to follow the Holy Spirit and not our flesh? Perhaps the fire that you're in right now is a test. What will you do? What will you do? Well, we know these guys... They refuse to bend. Let's go to our last heading here. The rescue by God. The rescue by God. Dare to make the stand. We've seen here, number one, the required worship. Number two, the refusal to bend. And now, number three, the rescue by God. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, 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 sorry, I can't say that word, sorry. Uh, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their official garment, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Wow. King Nebuchadnezzar, he got so mad and angry because they refused to do what he said, of what they said, that they serve God and not him. And that in verse 19, it says, he was filled with fury and the expression of his face changed. I, I like the word of God says that. Can you imagine? His face just started getting distorted rah, with anger, right? His, his face got all red and, and steam literally came out of his ears. No, but, but you can imagine, you know, how upset he got. And then he, he tasked the mightiest guards now to bind them, probably with ropes, that's my guess. And, he, and they took them, probably mighty meaning strong, like because they just picked these guys up and they threw them into the furnace. But the furnace flames, it was heated up so much. You remember that cylindrical uh, kiln with the dome on top and a hole on top? Um, most speculate there was, a, there was like a, maybe a gangplank or a little, little walkway to the top. And these strong guys picked them up and was throwing them in. But it was so hot and the flames are so high above the opening of the hole that it burned. Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers, and they died. They got burned and died. So here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go tumbling and bound into this fiery furnace. And that's the end. We're going to go home today. Happy story. No. Now look what happened, verse 24. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. You know what that means? He got chicken skin. That's what that means. And rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Hey, hey, wait, wait. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, Yeah, true king. We, we did. We did. We threw three, three guys in there. Verse 25, he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar saw this amazing sight. As he's, I almost like see his shielding his eyes because it's so hot and so bright. But, but he can see maybe the shadow. Maybe he could see partly of their, you know, their bodies being illuminated by the fire. But he's like shielding so hot and bright. And he goes, whoa, there's not three men, but there's four men there. And there's not like three men tied up, but four men are loose and free. And the fourth guy is not like the other three. He's like, Nebuchadnezzar says here, a son of the gods. In other words, he's godlike. He's like, a, we would say today, an angel. This, this appearance, some, something, you know, glowing, something different, you know, something glorious, uh, uh, you know, in there. Well, most all commentators agree that the fourth man there is God. It's God. They agree, and I agree, this is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus before he took human form when he came to the earth in the New Testament. This is what is called a theophany, or most people call it a Christophany. Uh, Christophany. You know, it's appearance of Jesus there, right with them in the fire. Uh, just to know, I was, I was kind of thinking, you know how it says they're walking around? What were they doing? <laughs> you know, I wonder what they were doing walking around. Hey, you know, Shadrach's like, hey, Meshach, look at this. He puts his hand in the fire. It's not burning. You know, I, I don't know. Come on, Abednego, come on. You got to try this. Put your foot in there. You know, I don't know. What were they doing walking around, maybe checking things out? Who knows? You know, maybe they walked up to Jesus and bowed down and worshiped. The Lord God. I don't know. I don't know. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. Remember, there's a hole on top where they're thrown into. But on the side was doors where you can stoke, you know, the furnace. So he came down to the door and, and probably like shielding his face again. They, he had it open and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, verse 26, and Abednego, servants. Now look what he says. Of the most high God. Come out and come out. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. They just walked out. Hey, king. How's it going? Hey, king. How are you today? Yeah. Verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the high counselors gathered together and saw. They witnessed all of this, right? And the Chaldeans, they, they were the ones. They were happy that they were thrown in a fire. But they're seeing something incredible, a miracle, God's deliverance. They saw that, verse 27, the fire had... Not any power over the bodies of these men. In other words, the fire didn't burn them up at all. You know, it was asbestos or, no, what's, you know, yeah, they, you know, they, they didn't burn, nothing. Um, the hair, it says here in verse 27, of their heads was not singed. It was perfect, you know, just the way they styled it in the morning. Their cloaks were not harmed. All their clothes that they threw them in with, the official clothes, 
not burnt at all, no burnt spots or nothing, no pukas, and no smell of fire come upon them, not even the smell of smoke. What a miracle. No indication that they were even in this fiery furnace. What everyone saw, and we are witnesses here, this is the rescue by God. This is what we see our heading. Literally, I think this scripture came true, Isaiah 43, 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and a flame shall not consume you. I almost wonder if that scripture, Isaiah 43, 2, was in their minds like, oh, this came to pass. Wow, the Lord rescued us here. So verse 28, finish up this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Isn't that amazing? Here's King Nebuchadnezzar like, No god can save you. Now humbled by all of this, saying, giving glory to the one true God, the Lord God. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb, from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. What, what a great witness. What a great testimony. What a great showing of the power of the Lord God that was shown here that even humble Nebuchadnezzar made this degree. And then verse 30. Then the king, isn't this crazy? Promoted Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I don't know how many, you know, which position. Maybe they became those high officials. I don't know, but I'm sure the Chaldeans are like, what? You know, their plan just disintegrated. Matter of fact, they're even honored more. Here's these guys. They're stand and they're rescued by God. You know what? All that impacted the king and the whole nation. And the king especially. Chuck Swindoll said, The mighty king who ordered the world to bow before his image now bows before the king of the world. I love that. All right, our last final point is this. The Lord stands with those who stand for him even in the fiery furnace. The Lord stands with those who stand for him even in the fiery furnace. Hebrews 13, verse, the end of verse 5 and 6 reads like this. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? Amen? God is on our side, you guys. God loves us. He cares for us. Who can be against us, yeah? If God is for us. Are you going through that fiery furnace right now? Jesus is with you. Trust him to keep you, to get you through. Yeah. You're going to be okay. Maybe you're not like these guys and you, you're feeling the fire, right? But God will be there to heal you, 
to touch you, to help you, to strengthen you, and you'll make it out. You will. You will. Maybe you're going through some persecution because you took a stand for Jesus. Because against the world, you said, no, I cannot hang out with you guys. I'm so sorry. Love you, but I cannot. That's my old life. But maybe you're getting persecution. Maybe they're like, what? You're crazy. What? You know, and you're starting to feel that. And you, they're making you feel shame. And you're starting to feel that. Jesus is with you. Watch for the miracles. Watch for God moving in your life. Watch how he's going to rescue and deliver you. Watch and see that Jesus is with you guys. Let me throw this in too. Maybe, maybe you're, you're suffering in what the Bible calls that furnace of affliction. In Isaiah 48.10, it talks about how God refines us and puts us in that furnace of affliction. And I mention this because, remember, it's through the suffering, James 1, 2, yeah, count it all joy when you go through various trials, you know. It's through the trials, it's through the suffering that God grows us, matures us. We learn lessons, our, our faith grows, and, 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 and you know what? He gets rid of those things that shouldn't be in our life. In that refiner's fire, the dross is taken out. Yeah? And what's left is that gold, right? And that's why Isaiah 48, 10 talks about that furnace of, of, of affliction. And I say this because think back on this story now. Look how nothing burned, not their hair, not their clothes, right? Nothing, not them, not nothing. The only thing we don't see on them anymore was the ropes. Do you notice that? The ropes is what burned in the furnace. Trials burn the ropes of sin and frees us from that bondage. So if you're going through that process, through that furnace of affliction, also know Jesus is with you throughout even that process. He loves you guys. He's with you. He's sovereignly working things out so that you would be rid of those things and the ropes would burn and you'd be free. Those burdens lifted. No longer those habits, but you're free to live for God. So as we come to a close, stand tall, you guys. Stand tall. When Satan comes to tempt you, to compromise, stand tall against him. Stand tall against the world. And it's encroaching culture and values. I mean, we're, we're, we're living in a dark time right now. What's good is called bad. What's bad is called good now. Things are being flipped around and fingers are pointing at Christians and believers all over the world. But we must stand tall and know that we're not going to be alone. God will be with us. And God will prove himself. To you know that i want to close with this um you guys know right i talked about it before how you know in the revival in hawaii the missionaries came over in the 1820s and uh they started sharing and witnessing sharing the word and 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 people are coming to the lord and then uh, ali'i started coming to the lord right so there's this story about princess uh kapiolani yeah she had given her life 
to Jesus Christ, and she was starting to live for the Lord. Well, she decided, Kapiolani, Princess Kapiolani, decided, dared, I should say, to defy the feared goddess of the volcano, Pele. On the way to the creator there on a big island, many of her family and others were trying to stop her, fearing her punishment and death by Pele. I mean, that, that was the idea. But you know what Kapiolani said? You know what she said? If I am destroyed, then you may all believe in Pele. But if I am not, you must all turn to the true writings, which is the word of God. As she got near to the volcano there in Hilo, a Pele a prophetess, this priestess, took out this piece of kappa paper made from the bark of the trees and, and, and said, you know, read, read this mumbled, confusing mass of words, you know, which was basically this curse to put upon Kapiolani. And, 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 you know, she's saying, this is from Pele. This is what Pele says. But the brave Christian woman, Kapiolani, took out her notebook and said, you have pretended to deliver a message from your God, but we have not understood it. Now, I will read you a message which you can understand, for I, too, have a letter. And so she took out her notebook and she read scriptures and quotes from Christian hymns that she had written down of what she had learned from the missionaries. As she made her way up to the crater, uh, this man, a high priest of Pele, who was actually tasked to feed the vo- Pele, the volcano, with ohelo berries, stopped her and said, you will die by Pele. And you know what she said? I shall not die by your God. That fire was kindled by my God. When Kapiolani finally reached a shelf, and, and I was reading this from some old writings from some of the missionaries, and I guess at that time, there's a, like a, about a five-mile, you know, that main crater, I forgot what they called, and there was actually a little shelf on the edge of it, and when she finally reached that shelf overlooking that sizzling, smoking lava crater, there was like 80 people who had followed her and, and were with her, and they heard her say this, and, and this was a report actually from Hiram Bingham, what he reported back to the mainland. Everyone heard her say this, Jehovah is my God. He kindled these fires. I fear not Pele. If I perish by the anger of Pele, then you may fear the power of Pele. But if I trust in Jehovah and he shall save me from the wrath of Pele when I break through her taboos, then you must fear and serve the Lord Jehovah. Then she said, all the gods of Hawaii are vain. Great is the goodness of Jehovah in sending missionaries to turn us from these vanities to the living God and the way of righteousness. And then you know what she did? Those ohelo berries that were sacred, were only supposed to be for Pele. She ate them right there. And rather than throwing the berries in, she took stones and cast them into the crater. What happened? Did she die? Did Pele kill her? No. She walked away. They actually sang some hymns there at that moment. And he's, another missionary, I forgot his name, I was reading, that this, he was like talking, this was just momentous. This was huge what happened. Because what she stood for was Jesus. And as she stood against the old Hawaiian gods, it started to change everybody. And she, what her act, after that, the Lee and people started really turning to God. It said, matter of fact, about 12 years later, it's written that um, Titus Cohen, who was a big missionary on the Big Island, he writes that both that 
prophetess, that priestess that she ran into, and that high priest, you know, on right there at the vo volcano at the crater, they both had given their lives to Jesus and they were walking with him. That's it, you guys. That's what it's about. We make a stand not for our own stuff, not for, well, you know what, this is me. I'm a man. I'm gonna, no, it's for Jesus Christ. It's for God. And we know when we make that stand for him, he'll stand with us. And we'll see the Lord do amazing things. That Jesus, his name will be known. Not us. That Jesus would be glorified. Not us. That as we stand for who we are and what we believe, we'll shine that light. And I was thinking about this, you guys. Re as Revelation 12, 11 says this. They have conquered him, who's that? Satan they're talking about. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Beloved of God, will we then be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Let us all say, yes, yes, I will. I dare to make the stand. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and God we're just amazed at this story. So exciting, so many things that have happened, Jesus. And God, we are humbled, though, too. And, and uh, Lord, I look at my own failures and my own weaknesses. Where, where I should have stand, I didn't. I gave in. I compromised. But today, Lord, you are stirring in us a, a fire, God. Spark our hearts for passion for you and what we believe in. To become who we are. And not let the world tell us who we are. To let the word of God lead us into you, God, and being like you. So, Lord, even right now, we stand for you. And I pray for anyone here, whatever their situations are, whatever that fire is, Lord, I pray that you would be their strength, give them courage, anoint them with your spirit right now, Lord. And let them stand for you. Stand against the devil's attacks. Stand strong in the power of his might. Putting on the armor of God. And may we all, Lord, go forward, Lord, standing together, but standing with you and see the power of God work mightily in us, through us, and around us. In Jesus' name, amen.